Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So as the activist class works to try and figure out how they're going to get abortion in the state of Indiana, the activist class is working to figure out how you legalize marijuana in the state of Indiana. Uh, this is uh, this is certainly uh, interesting. Politically, some might argue it's fun. Although, I don't know if people consider an abortion topic fun. That'd be pretty awkward. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? Find everything, TonyKatz.Locals.com, TonyKatz.Locals.com. You have the Attorney General of Indiana, Todd Rokita, you've seen pictures, saying there is no right to abortion or privacy in the state constitution. You have the ACLU, amongst others, engaging in, in lawsuits, saying that the restrictions on abortion that were passed by the state in the special session, violate state constitutional protections for the rights of privacy and equal privileges. The plaintiffs, uh, uh, they say, collectively Planned Parenthood, urge the judiciary to recognize a novel, unwritten, historical, unsupported right to abortion under Article 1, Section 1 of the Indiana Constitution. This is what the Attorney General's office is saying. Planned Parenthood does not cite any history that supposedly demonstrates the existence of a right to privacy or abortion either. What they're arguing is, is that the legislation, as put forth, hinders opportunity for women, privacy, etc., and therefore it has to be unallowed. Then you bring in this group that I have mass, massive, massive, massive issues with, you see, trying to put the two words together and that's Hoosier Jews for choice they want to hide behind religion now that isn't to say that Judaism uh, has a look at abortion and this idea that the life of the mother is absolutely paramount and that on a religious basis on a religious basis, you should be able to make this decision to protect the life of the mother. Judaism approves of this. There's, this is not a, a debate. And one could argue that there are indeed religious grounds in which this, this consideration has to exist. That's what part of these lawsuits are. The problem with this group is they are Hoosier Jews for choice. I actually found them on Facebook as well. After I heard about them, I found them uh, on uh, on Facebook. Uh, you understand that Hoosier Jews for choice is not about Judaism. It's really important that we note this, and I can take this on with anyone, anywhere, anytime. If you were having a religious conversation, regarding the need to be able to have an abortion without breaking the law because the life of the mother is at risk and Judaism commands you to. That is a religious conversation, a religious argument to which I have zero issue. You have to go out there and you have to make your case. Who's your Jews for choice? 
No, no, no. That's a political movement because we're not talking about choice here. We're talking about religion. So pick one. Are you Jewish or are you progressive? And I'm looking directly at uh, my, my people, my people, my fellow Jews. Are you Jewish or are you progressive? The problem is far too many progressives say, well, what's the difference? Far too many Jews say, well, what's the difference? Well, I can tell you what the difference is. One is political and one is religion. The idea that Jews are progressives or Jews are liberals, nonsense bunk. Don't buy into that. Now, I know that in Indiana, far too many faith leaders buy into this, spread this, share this. I think they, they've done religion a dirty and specifically Judaism a dirty because they're saying there's only one way to think. And then they get allied by certain members of the press that certain wouldn't, certainly wouldn't allow another way to think. I'm here to tell you that if, if I were to be asked without having any other knowledge base to it, I would say I'm a real, real thorn in the side of uh, the so-called Jewish establishment in central Indiana, maybe even the state, because here I am, maybe the most, uh, I think I could say uh, that because of the shows, plural, and the name outside the shows, I'm, am I off by saying I'm the most high-profile Jew in the state of Indiana? And if not the close, how about just in a top range? We would say that, and I'm not a progressive. I think that's a huge thorn in the side. It could explain why I get a couple of the looks that I get when I'm out and about. But the idea that Judaism equals progressivism is nonsense. It's trash. And I am clearly seeing this appropriately that the idea of Hoosier Jews for choice has nothing to do with religion. Yet they're the ones who engage this lawsuit regarding abortion. And I just sweep that to the side. I sweep them uh, to the side. Todd Rokita's position is that the constitutional text nowhere mentions abortion as a protected right and Indiana history demonstrates abortion was regarded as criminal, not a cherished core value. That's part of Rokita's response. Now, as for the ability of the ACLU to sue or others to sue, well, my gosh, go right ahead. I am still stunned that there are so many on the political right who said all we have to do is overturn Roe v. Wade. No, 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 no. Overturning Roe v. Wade was about returning it back to the states. The states now have to decide, and every state's going to do it a little bit differently, and you're going to have to go on the record, and it might be awkward with some of your constituents. Okay. I accept this. Let it be. And let people have different opinions and different thoughts and let us argue and discuss and go ahead and push for, for voting for, for other people and engaging other legislation. Feel free. It's a republic, man. It's, it's we the people in order to form a more perfect union, not a perfect union. It's about getting better piece by piece and bit by bit. And sometimes we don't get better. Sometimes we get worse. Sometimes we take steps back. And thus we have a system that we can correct things and make things better as we go and grow. Speaking of growing, 
Grow Indiana Together wants to legalize cannabis because it turns out some people really and truly love the weed. Grow Indiana Together want a cannabis legalization. Um, there's a uh, summer study committee on the legalization of, of cannabis. And so um, they are, uh, they're like, yeah, we should do this. And I am not a favor of legalizing marijuana so we can then tax it. I don't, I say we legalize marijuana and not tax it just to screw with everybody. You don't you don't legalize something so you can say now we can get the revenue out of it. That's just ugliest sin. All taxes are punitive, just so we're perfectly clear. But do I am I okay with the legalization of of marijuana in the state of Indiana? Uh there's an extent to which I am. We are bordered by states that have legalized marijuana. We are the ones that haven't. Legalizing marijuana would take away a certain level of criminality to marijuana. It should never take away being high and and, and driving or operating heavy machinery, just like drinking and driving or operating heavy machinery. Uh, That should still be a a crime because you can put other people at risk. What you do in in your living room, I I don't need to know about. The only rule I've ever had about marijuana legalization is that if it's legalized, of course, they're going to have licenses. And I I don't think you understand how much I oppose some of these things. Like, I, I oppose licenses all around. And if you say to me, whoa, whoa, Tony, if you oppose the licenses all around, you mean you don't have to be licensed to be a doctor? Oh, you want me to go down this road? Okay, I'll go down this road. I don't think it's a good idea to go to somebody who's an unlicensed, untrained doctor. But if you want to, why am I getting in the way? If you're an adult and you want to go to somebody who says, uh, I-, I can fix you, I have no degree. As long as the sign says I have no degree, as long as they don't lie about it, go ahead. Go to the local guy who's got some kind of, of serum or elixir that'll uh, take care of what ails you. Go live your life. Don't Don't tell me about it. I oppose the licensing for people who want to do hair braiding. And I'm glad to see more and more states get into this. There are women, specifically black women all across America, who do hair braiding at their kitchen table because uh, black hair is a whole different thing. And they make some money doing it. Why in the world should they have to engage a full-on cosmetology license or anybody, it's not specifically black women, it just happens to be culturally black women, why should anybody have to get a cosmetology license to braid somebody else's hair? It's ridiculous, it's keeping people from being able to make a living and choose their own course. Of course I oppose it, I oppose the licensing. But if I oppose the licensing, I oppose the idea that you have rights and then that you uh, give them up to the government and then they sell them back to you. So if you ask me, I use the doctoring as an extreme example about a license to sell cannabis. If cannabis is legal, anybody should be able to sell it. But of course, you know they'll have licenses. I make the argument. 
and I have for years now, and I don't think people understand how serious I, I, I am about this. I am going to get a license to sell marijuana in the state of Indiana if, if uh, marijuana is, is legal in the state of Indiana. But if somehow they tell me I can't get a license, only these certain people can get a license, I'm just telling the state right now, nobody gets a, gets a license. I will be suing everybody. I will sue the governor and I will sue the first lady by name. Why would I sue the first lady? What does Janet Holcomb have to do with this? I told you I'm suing everybody. Every member of the General Assembly individually and their spouses. Although I'm sure some lawyer is going to tell me I can't do that. I'm suing everybody I can. Tony Katz gets a license or no one gets a license. That's the way it is. Because my argument is you will not have a situation. I will not stand for a situation in the state of Indiana where only a special cadre of people, a special group of people, are the only ones who are allowed to, to have a license. Nope. Not going to do it. Not going to be part of it. Now, there is a downside to the legalization of marijuana, and that is everywhere you go, it smells like marijuana. Now, if you've been in downtown Indianapolis, which looks terrible, unfortunately, I don't think it's helped by legalized marijuana. I think the last thing you need is a homeless problem combined with a weed problem. I'm not sure you want that. You walk through the streets of Chicago, it's 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 annoying. It really is. The the, the smell of cigarettes is not annoying compared to the to the incredible smell of weed in these places. It's annoying. It truly truly is. So all all I'm saying is that I think there's there may be reasons we might want to woe up on the legalization. Or maybe it's about being able to sell it, maybe restrictions on where you can smoke it. Now, I know, I'm a cigar guy. Would I ever accept this on cigars? No, I think you should be able to smell a cigar outdoors all you wish. I'm just saying that I think that people might say, we take a look at Denver, we take a look at San Francisco, we take a look at New York, we take a look at Chicago. Uh, Maybe it's something we don't want. It's possible. I, I think that that conversation's gonna come up. I think that conversation is allowed to come up and people are allowed to to engage it. Abortion and marijuana. Social issues in the state of Indiana. Yeah, they exist. You know, uh, Mitch Daniels, the former governor, current president of Purdue University until the, the end of the year, he, he talks about it, he's written about the fact that he, it's not that he uh, opposes, as I've always taken, it's not that he opposes the conversation about social issues, it's that he, he forgoes some of those conversations, and certainly did as, as governor, to handle some of the economic things that he felt were, were more important. And I never, ever had a problem with that. My only problem would exist is when someone doesn't recognize that a social issue is an important issue that requires, as governor, it, it to be addressed. So when we talk about parents being called domestic terrorists 
for focusing on what's going on in their local school boards. I believe Governor Eric Holcomb should have been loud and clear. We don't talk about who's your parents like this. They have a right to be worried about what's going on in their kids' education. I encourage them to speak out uh, uh, peacefully uh, and powerfully at their school boards. And if they need to, uh, if they feel they need to, certainly run for office. More people engage in that political process and engage in their kids' education is better for all Hoosier children. I believe he should have said that, and he didn't say it. Just like he should have engaged leadership with the idea of lockdowns for COVID. We don't lock down in the state of Indiana. But he did. He played follow the leader there. On abortion, he was right up there. We're doing this. Have a nice day. Even to the point where the Republican Party looked silly in the putting it together because they didn't even have themselves together. It's like they never thought about the fact that they might have to engage some legislation if Roe v. Wade got overturned, which of course it did and rightfully so. But he was, he was Johnny on the spot right there on that one. I don't know where he's going to be on cannabis. But it's... Um, Holcomb has said, according to the article, he supports the idea of medical marijuana, but the state should not act unless Congress makes a move at the federal level. Um, I think the state's going to end up making the move first. That, that's what it seems to me. Because the federal government seems to have said, you know what? Whatever these states do, we're just not going to get involved. We just don't have the manpower for that. We're not going to even bother. That, that's, that's very much what they've said. That's pretty clear about what they've said. So what happens this session? I, I don't know. I still don't think uh, we're going to see serious movement on weed. I could be wrong. More legislation about abortion rights? Oh, that's coming. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. Thank you and she likes everyone. And I never like to admit that The markets, man, they are letting you know they are unpleased. What, the Dow dropped 300 plus right at the opening of trading today because they're going to assume that the Fed is going to keep raising rates. Yeah. Why, why, why are we even pretending the Fed is going to raise rates and keep raising rates? Is it going to be three quarters of a point or is it going to be a point? That's the question. I think a point is is possible, but politically, man, uh, the progressives don't want it. Biden doesn't want it. A point might freak people out. Three quarters of a point is what's been happening. It's what's expected. A point does something different. A point makes people say, wow, things really are bad. Yeah, things are really bad. What, what part of you didn't know that? Things are really bad. The inflation is really bad. And the only way to handle it is to raise the interest rates because these people won't stop spending. We know this. We already know this. Good Lord. But now they have no they have no plans of stopping whatsoever. These rates are going to continue to go up. And yes, when they feel that they've got the rates in a place that this is going to be enough, which I assume is another two or three raises, maybe more, um, then, then they'll hold. The question will be, how long do they hold rates in that place? How long will you see interest rates for a house at 7% or higher? Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz.
as you know, last Tuesday, the annual inflation rate came in at 8.3 percent. The stock market nosedived. People are shocked by their grocery bills. What can you do better and faster? Well, first of all, let's put this in perspective. Inflation rate month to month was just uh, 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 just an inch, hardly at all. You're not arguing that 8.3 is good news. No, I'm not saying it's good news, but it was 8.2 or 8.2 before. I mean, it's not. You're, I, maybe I can make it sound like all of a sudden, my God, it went to 8.2 percent. That interview with 60 Minutes, Scott Pelley, with the interview of President Biden, to me, is a 24-hour news cycle that should last weeks. You have the president saying the pandemic is over, that the U.S. will go to war with China over Taiwan. Inflation isn't all that bad, as you just heard him say. And then he's not sure if he's running for re-election. This should be the most newsworthy of newsworthy interviews, not only for what he said about not running for, possibly not running for re-election, But look at how the White House and others had to correct him or go back and correct the record on things regarding foreign policy and how we live our daily lives vis-a-vis COVID. Tony Katz, so good to be with you. Leland Vittert joins us right now. He is the host of On Balance with Leland Vittert at NewsNation, NewsNationNow.com every Monday through uh, Friday over there at 8 8 p.m. 7 Central? No, you're 7 p.m. Eastern. 6 p.m. Central. I think that that's 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 when the man is on. I think I've got that uh, correct right now. And your 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 perch uh, as a journalist, as you watch these stories uh, kind of unfold, you watch that 60 minutes interview. What was your takeaway? My takeaway was uh, you have to think about Ron Klain, uh, the chief of staff, who give credit where credit's due over the past two months, uh, kept President Biden largely out of sight or in extremely managed situations and took his uh, approval rating from 36 percent in July to 45 percent in September and almost exactly two months. And then all of a sudden, uh, let him let him do this 60 minutes interview. And and wow, I, I kind of walked away from the interview. Uh, and you're right. It was an incredibly consequential one thinking to myself, like, what does all this mean? Like, what is it? What does it mean that we're going to go to war over Taiwan? What does it mean that he's going to decide later about running for reelection? What does it mean that the pandemic is over? What does it mean that inflation is only up an inch? Does that mean we're done dealing with inflation? Does that mean that the president doesn't think it's a big deal? Does it mean he thinks it's a big deal, but there's nothing he can do about it? I, I couldn't there – were, there were a lot of answers, but no they, – they were like 20 percent of the way there. I am left – you know, as I, as I watch this interview, a, a whole series of things uh, come to mind. But when you bring up Ron Klain, the White House chief of staff, uh, I am left with with my top line question. Doesn't this show a level of disarray? Uh, you, it, it, we've discussed before that if the White House is always 
coming out behind President Biden saying, well, what he really meant or what we really feel or what this is the actual policy that shows an undercutting uh, of the president. And it's something that President Biden has complained about before in normal times or maybe maybe not normal times in Trump times. Wouldn't an interview like this and the responses from the White House be seen as the White House is in total disarray? How is it different this time? It's a good point. What I think is kind of interesting about what you bring up is is in in Trump times, okay, if you undercut the president or, quote, unquote, tried to clean it up, okay, you were fired. That was the last thing you said as a White House staffer, right? So that that I I think that 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 continues to happen is interesting. And and to me, it's more of a question, right, which is if the president is the commander in chief and is the guy who – is in charge and, and on and on and on and on. Why doesn't he fire these people? Like if he's actually upset, now you can you can go the next step, right? And, and look, you, you we as journalists are trained to be skeptical of a White House, but you you have to give it at least the possibility that what they're doing is is relatively calculated. That President Biden wants to telegraph to the Chinese that yes. We will defend Taiwan. He's only – I think he said it now four times. Um, and and at the same time, his staff is giving the Chinese a way to save face and not start a war. But the president has laid down his line. You can say that with the pandemic, he, he said the quiet part out loud and acknowledged really where most Americans already are, although the left is really angry with him for saying it. And, and that's necessary for the midterms. Um, you can say that his political staff may not like that he says, I'm not, I don't know if I'm running for reelection, but he's the president of the United States and maybe he made that decision and, and, and wants to begin the process of letting the field know, hey, it's okay to begin building the campaigns and waiting. But if we're discussing. Know, you, have to, you have to at least entertain that possibility. Talking to Leland Vittert of News Nation Now, NewsNationNow.com, his show on balance with Leland Vittert. Be sure to check it out every Monday through Friday. If if, if you want to make the argument that he's that, that President Biden was was engaged in a level of calculation and ma- sending a message uh, to China, that would be one thing. He made this exact same statement that the United States would support Taiwan or at least uh, would engage militarily for Taiwan back in May of 2022. He's now done it again, putting an end to the idea of strategic ambiguity. It's not a- ambiguous to say we will stand in the, sta- the, the, the Straits of Taiwan and fight China. But the, when you hear the White House go back under it, right, and, and, and undercut the president there, now you're Taiwan. They, they have to be hearing this and thinking something. You've covered the Middle East for years, spending a lot of time uh, in, in Israel and all throughout the area. These words are indeed measured, but when they get undercut from the White House, that's got to leave you wanting. Yeah, I, I, I think that, that it very well may leave Taiwan wanting. It very well also may be. And, and if you listen to Jake Sullivan today, uh, the president's national security advisor, um, he made the point that, well, the president was answering a hypothetical not changing policy, which actually isn't undercutting what the president said at all. If you just take that at face value that, that yes, um, the president, the, you know, the president would order the U.S. military to protect Taiwan in the event of an invasion. It kind of says it all. 
you know, we, we can look for, you know, a, a storyline of, of undercutting, but at least, at least on that point, I haven't seen it yet. On the pandemic, I think it's going to be really interesting. It's going to be really interesting to see how then the, the White House defends, say, the student loan um, uh, reprieve or canceling or whatever you want to call it. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they deal with asking for more funding, as they already are about dealing with COVID. Um, now that the president has said it's over, how do you deal with Title 42 at the border? How does the, how do you keep arguing in federal court that you that you need emergency powers when the president has said uh, that the pandemic uh, is over? How do they deal with their base uh, on that issue? This um, is the pandemic's over. I mean, and this is where the next question goes. You know, Title 42 is the idea that you can expel people from the country who have crossed over because of a communicable disease like a COVID. The student uh, loan uh, forgiveness can't exist if the pandemic is over because it's the pandemic that set the emergency conditions under which President Biden says he has the authority uh, to do this. So how much disarray did this interview or how much disarray does it cause for Democrats who are running for office and running for reelection? Election in those tight House and Senate races. Look, we don't know how this is going to end up, and I and I think you make a very good point that now, uh, less than sixty days, almost less than forty-five days to the election, everything has to be looked at through the midterm prison. But boy, we are um, in uncharted waters. And I think Tony, you know, the last time, and you and I didn't really realize it. You realized it more than me. That's why. Um, you're on, you're on the air longer than I am every day because you're smarter. Is that bless you? Um, we, well, you know, I, I had to get in something. Okay, so here's the deal. The last time we were in uncharted waters was 2016. We didn't really understand what was happening with Trump at the time. At least I didn't. But you saw it and you kept warning, like there's something here we're not picking up on. And I think in this election, we understand the things we're not picking up on. But because inflation's never been this high in 40 years, you've never had abortion um, as a driver on the left. It's always been an issue on the right uh, for voter turnout. Um, you've never had big shifts in uh, demographics and things, particularly Hispanics as a voting population. Modeling and polling all of these races and how all these issues break is is going to be really hard. And I think that the, the real, the conventional wisdom, quote unquote, doesn't apply anymore, which makes our job even more fun. Talking to Leland Vitter of NewsNationNow.com. I was going over some, some polling numbers earlier, and and I, I'm never a guy who believes one just one poll, and I got so abused by the Mitt Romney polling in 2012 that I, I basically swore off the stuff. Uh, but as as I look start to look at some things now, you, you see where Republicans are gaining traction in Georgia, in Ohio, uh, in Arizona, and, and, and in Pennsylvania, Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania against uh, John, John Fetterman, but you brought up abortion. I keep hearing people bring this up. I have seen more Yamiche Alcindor on MSNBC bringing up abortion that it is moving Republican women. They feel betrayed by the party, which seems very hard to understand considering where the Republican Party and certainly the religious right has been vis-a-vis Roe v. Wade. In your discussing things with people, talking to people analysis, is abortion a serious subject and mover in the midterms? I 
I don't believe in anecdotal evidence, and I think anecdotal evidence can be used to uh, kind of create any kind of narrative you want. The one piece of evidence that I'd say that I, I think that Republicans would be wise to look at and really think about is Kansas. And you can rationalize away a lot of that, um, and I, yeah, I hear people on the right doing it. Um, but I think Kansas is a really interesting spot um, to look at what happened in a special election there, the, the sort of the massive wave um, of of pro-choice or anti-pro-life vote that that came out there um, that was different than anything we'd really seen, anything that had been polled. Um, that's something that that's a data point that I'd, I'd put there, and I've yet to see a data point on the other side from Republicans, uh, not polling, but an actual uh, election that ha- has happened since the Dobbs decision that that indicates it's a good thing for Republicans. You know, I I I, I look at Kansas, but can't remember that Kansas wasn't about. Uh, and a specific piece of abortion legislation, it was about the changing of their constitution. And when we take a look at my beloved Indiana, Indiana and the General Assembly voted for abortion restrictions, and there are now a couple lawsuits uh, discussing that. Well, of course, there are going to be lawsuits, but Indiana, in a place with a supermajority of Republicans, really uh, set the course and with a, a few hiccups, got to a place where they wanted to be. Isn't that a little different if, if saying that Kansas is, is some level of, of bellwether? That was a constitutional conversation versus a specific abortion conversation like this one piece of legislation that was about changing the constitution well that was about changing the constitution vis-a-vis abortion and and it was true in the way the election was in the way the the sort of advertising and discussion around that special ballot measure uh, that was done during the primary election was set up is this was a referendum on abortion wasn't set up as a referendum on the Constitution about some esoteric thought. It was, you know, protect choice, protect abortion rights. Those were the ads. Um, so, and you said your beloved uh, Indiana. You said the very thing. The General Assembly voted. The General Assembly voted, not not the public. And those are those are different things. You, you and I have talked about this a long time. That that our elected representatives, in order to become elected, are are continually becoming more extreme on virtually every issue than the generic voter is because of, because of the power of primaries um, and the power of, of, of the minority in, in both parties. So I don't know. I, I'm, I, I don't know, but I've yet to see any, imper- any data from an actual election that Republicans point to that can say, hey, the abortion issue post Dobbs is really good for us. That is Leland Vitter. Catch him Monday through Friday at News Nation Now, NewsNationNow.com, 7 p.m. Eastern. That is 6 on the Central. Find him on Twitter at Leland Vitter, L-E-L-A-N-D-V-I-T-T-E-R-T. He's an easy guy to find. Leland, always a pleasure. More coming up. I'm Tony Katz. 
the voicemail. The voicemail that came out. Come look, I think we're in the clear. The Washington, I read the Washington Post story. I think we're in the clear. How could he possibly <laughs> say that and also say that he knew nothing about his prison? You can't his have it both deals. ways. You can't say to the world, to the public, uh, there's nothing there, there. I did nothing with Hunter Biden. He's completely okay. Well, Mr. President Biden, uh, let somebody outside of Delaware make that decision. Sure. Absolutely. That's what you supported for Trump. But you wanted somebody uh, outside of politics and to look at Trump. Sessions, he recused yeah. himself, and you got Mueller, Number which was one, a two-year disaster. If I were President Biden, I wouldn't go on TV ever again. Yeah. Oh, right. boy. That was a complete disaster. Pandemic's over. <laughs> That's Lindsey Graham slamming on Joe Biden for the 60 Minutes interview. I... I'm sorry. I, I, it might sound like I'm harping on it a bit. I think that's the right uh, terminology. I simply want it for the record that you're not crazy. That what what happened in the 60 Minutes interview was nuts. It was certifiable. And in any other world... This would be the nonstop story. But in a world where the media is not an honest broker, it just goes by the wayside as just some, oh, ho-hum, oh, don't forget, Republicans are fascists. I can't, I can't, I can't unsee the car wreck. It's right there. Holy moly. I think that there are ramifications here. If I'm asking my gut what it thinks, my gut is like, this is going to reverberate. Find everything, TonyCats.Locals.com, TonyCats.Locals.com, TonyCats.Locals.com. Forget Facebook. Come join us over there. Tomorrow, everyone, take care.